Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the morning worship service here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. We're going to begin this morning by standing and singing How Great Thou Art. Bye. 
pray that your glory will be exalted above the heavens, that it will be exalted above the, uh, throughout this service. And Lord, we pray that by your grace that we will be touched in a very special way through your word, through your message. Deal with our lives and our hearts. Uh, show us the truth and Lord, help us to abide by it. Help us to live by it. Help us to glorify you by it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our praise service, our next song is Standing on the Promises. So guess what I'm going to ask you all to do? That's right. Stand.
It is good to see you this morning. My goodness. And all you out in TV land, I tell you, it's good to see you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17 as we continue our study. Matthew chapter 17. It is a delight to be with you. Oh, those wonderful faces. As Tim said, you know, it's, uh, it'll be neat to be able to be back with you, with everyone in the future to some kind of normality. We don't know what that will be, but we're just looking forward to it. And I hope and pray that the people, as he mentioned about a lot of um, Bibles someone had mentioned uh, being sold, I hope that uh, people really take it to heart and they follow through with it and they're consistent with it. Okay, in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to go back over some passage and, uh, of Scripture and read it to get the context here, but then we uh, will focus in on verses uh, 9 through 13 or 10 through 13. It says, And six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them to a high mountain by themselves. Here he separated them from the other disciples. And he was transfigured before them. This is the story of the transfiguration. In his glorious state. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, there were two persons that appeared with him. As disciples looked up, Moses and Elijah, and they were talking with him. And of course, I'm sure that they were talking about the fulfillment of Scripture and the end times. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Man, we are blessed with this, this glorious appearance, this, this uh, millennial type of, of uh uh, worship and time together. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We'll just start worshiping now. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And I want you to look at the last part of it. Not only that he's well pleased because he's been an obedient son, he's followed through to the T, he hasn't disobeyed in the least, but he goes on to say, and listen to him. Pay attention to what he says. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid, and Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. Jesus playing that part already of being our high priest, our understanding priest, our wonderful priest, which he has become. Uh, and he told us that he, uh, you know, that uh, the scriptures told us that he would, uh, especially from Hebrews. And so uh, he comes over there touching them and encouraging them. And as they were... Coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, 
tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Now, disciples, you think, boy, they're excited. They, you know, they, they've seen this. This is wonderful. But there, there's still confusion because there's talk going on. And his disciples ask him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In other words, this is what we were taught since we were children. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore, restore all things. Now what? We thought this was the glimpse of glory here. But I say to you that Elijah already came. What? He, he's coming. He already came. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Remember him telling them that he must go to the cross? And now they're beginning to have an enlightenment period from God. And what did they say? Then the disciples understood. He had spoken to them about John the Baptist, who had been said that he was Elijah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. May your grace enlighten us. May you show us the truth. And Lord, may you help us to understand and be committed to you to bring honor and glory to your name as you so desire. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just like today, you hear questions, and you may have questions, and I have questions. I've talked with some, and I agree with them with the questions. Why are all these things happening to us today? We've never seen the light, not in our lifetime. Was all of this an accident? Was it planned by somebody to hurt America? Was it caused by Satan? Now this is a big question that a lot of Christians should be having. Or was it caused by God or was it caused by both? Was it brought about? Was it allowed? Why, if God's involved in it, why do good people have to suffer? You know, that's a famous question there. We don't have all the answers and we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle put together do we yet we will have an answer one day in heaven we will understand more we can understand more today and we should understand more from the scripture but the disciples same boat they're this side of the cross they don't understand everything they've been taught certain things and Certain things chronologically have not fallen in order for them. And so they're wondering about it. So, and not only that, but the purpose of Christ, their Messiah, to come and suffer and die. And putting all of this together has been difficult time for them. Has been, it's been a difficulty for them. In chapter 16, 17, it gives us a rare glimpse of, of that which has befallen the disciples. Oh, what a blessing they had. In chapter 16, Peter 
was privileged to be the first to articulate who Jesus is. And Jesus said, you know, this was not given. I mean, you didn't figure this out on your own. This was not your, of, of your own reasoning. This was given to you from the Father. So the identity of Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, the Father has given that to you. And this was divinely revealed to you. And, and it wasn't so, something that you figured out. So we see the identity of Christ has been given to him in these chapters. We see the forming of the church also given to them. He said, upon this rock, what? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Then Jesus warned them. He said, don't tell anyone about this yet. You should tell no one. And then next, Jesus reveals to his disciples his destiny. He just flat out tells them what he's going to do. He tells them that he's headed for the cross. From this time forward, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up the third day in Matthew 16, 21. Peter had the, you know, the identity of Christ right. He had the identity revealed to him, but he didn't have the destiny figured out yet. And he told Christ, this can never happen. We were taught as Jewish boys that the Messiah would come and liberate Israel. And he would bring the glory back to the nation of Israel as the Messiah reigned. Jesus basically told Peter, I understand what you are saying. I understand what you're going through. But it is satanically inspired. Satan wants to stop me. Satan desires to keep me from accomplishing my true mission. And that true mission is going to the cross. And you won't be able to experience the millennial, the kingdom of God, if I don't go to the cross. Satan desires for me to take a shortcut. And that's what's your suggestion. So, understand that. Christ then reveals to disciples what their mission must be. He said, now you know what my mission is, but let me share with you that if anyone wishes to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Their mission was to be like Christ. And it involved cost and sacrifice and commitment. And then he takes them and he wants to give them a little bit of encouragement and say, yes, the, the millennial kingdom is coming. The, the glory of, of me ruling and reigning is coming. And so I want to share with you a special, special event to 
emphasize this, to let you know, a preview, if you will, of what will come. I don't want you to get discouraged. When I die and, and, and I'm buried and, and, and before the resurrection, before you see me again, I don't want you to be discouraged. I'm going to give you something special, a special preview of me coming again in glory. So let's look at the glorious sign. And Matthew says in verse 28 of chapter 16, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Wow, we're going to be alive. Is this it? Is this what he's talking about? And then he says, it's you three guys. I'm going to take you up on the mountain. I'm going to let you see what it's going to be like. I'm going to give you a preview. I'm going to give you a glimpse here. Six days later, Jesus took uh, with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to, uh, to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His glory shone forth, burst out from him. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as snow. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. The disciples, what a blessing it was to see this preview of Jesus in his glory and how he'll come back. A visible, it was a visible representation of the future in the midst of the moments of that precious time with him on the mountain and with the other two who appeared, Moses and Elijah. Peter, James, and John are the witnesses of those things, seeing this wonderful representation of the future coming of the Lord caused further confusion, though, later on, and we'll talk about that, concerning the coming of the Messiah and the coming of Elijah. And so the transfiguration of Christ, first of all, lets us know that it's a visible sign of the Lord coming in His kingdom. He was letting them know that. But it also was an interpretive sign of the fact that the kingdom is an absolute fulfillment. It will be an absolute fulfillment of all of Israel's expectations and more. It would be so glorious. I mean, they, they won't be able to believe. They were given certain scriptures, but it would go beyond that. Everything has been hurtling towards the, the prophetic fulfillment. And we have the, the representation here of Moses and Elijah representing the, the, uh, you know, the, the law and the prophetic teachings of old. And Jesus fulfilling all of that. And so Peter, James, and John get to see this wonderful, glorious time. What an awesome time it must have been. And then in chapter 17, the transfiguration is an experience where the disciples, they get to see the glorified Christ as he will appear in his second coming. You see, Jesus came and he was veiled in human flesh the first time. But not the second time he'll come in his glorified state. And they'll get to see him. He'll come to rule and reign. He won't come to suffer and die. He will be the reigning Lord and Savior, the Messiah.
This was a unique experience and a powerful representation or presentation of the glorified Christ. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But Christ had much to do yet. And he knew this. And so his uh, destiny was not complete yet. It was not there. The destiny was to the cross. He had to go there. So the Heavenly Father told the disciples, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. He's been teaching you through the miracles. He's been teaching you through the Sermon on the Mount and other times. Listen to Him. He's been bringing in the old and letting you know that He is the fulfillment of this. Listen to Him because you're going to be carrying this message to the world. And you've got to get it right. You must know it. You must believe in it. Just like, you know, you can trace it back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15, where Moses spoke of the great prophet that he, uh, you know, he said, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him, God says. Obey the scripture. Listen to him. The disciples were to listen, to hear, and to obey the Lord. Christ is a new Moses. Moses and the law is fulfilled in Christ. When the Heavenly Father spoke from above to Peter, James, and John, what did they do? Their natural reaction was in all they fell to the ground with their faces down, being afraid. And Jesus came over to the disciples and touched them, saying, Arise and do not be afraid. Here we see Christ in his sympathetic role, his role of comfort and encouragement, telling them to rise. It's okay. But let's look at the following verses. The verses, as they're headed down from the mountain, the state of confusion here. It says, and as they were coming down from the uh, mountain, the disciples revealed their state of confusion by asking Christ, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? The confusion is over Elijah. And when he was to come. I thought he was supposed to come before the setting up of the kingdom. You're saying that you've got to go to the cross. You're saying that you know, uh, that Elijah and the Scriptures, uh, all of this has been fulfilled. Did we miss him somewhere? Where did we miss him? How did we miss him? The order is all wrong. If the scribes were teaching the Scripture correctly, then the order is all wrong. In Malachi 4, chapter 5 through 6, we're told about the great prophet Elijah coming. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. In other words, that great and awful day, day of tribulation, he is going to come and prepare the way for the Lord to come back. Many believe that, that he's going to be one of the... Um, Prophets that appear, uh, or his type appears over in Revelation. One of the two that come and 
and uh, offer up their life for sharing the testimony during those awful days. So let's look at the clarification. Clarification for the present suffering and future glorification. Jesus answers disciples. In chapter 17, verses 11 12, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. Elijah is coming. He's already come. Man, we're confused. And they did not recognize him, but, oh, they did not recognize him. Then I bet you the Lord just, uh, the Father just gave them enlightenment there. I mean, it's, it's like the light bulb going off. You said something about John the Baptist, him being the forerunner. And then they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So when Jesus asked disciples, who do, you, who do they say that I am? You remember back in chapter 16, disciples answered what? Three or four prophets. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Elijah was one of the prophets mentioned because he was an Old Testament expectant prophet to come expectation was there of him coming he was expected to come before the messiah's arrival and so disciples wondering about elijah and timetable that it was that they were taught they they said hey you know this is irrational thought they didn't understand where the pieces of the puzzle fit in and so they believed in, you know, the Jews did not believe in reincarnation. And they believed instead in a prophetic fulfillment of the prophetic role. It was a role. It's like a role here. Like uh, in the Old Testament where Elijah picked up uh, Elijah's mantle when he was, Elijah was taken to heaven. It meant that Elijah was to continue his ministry, continue that role. And it was fulfillment of his role. And so when the Elijah came, that's what the Old Testament, I mean, that's what the, uh, uh, the Jews believed. It was a role. It was a fulfillment of that role of Elijah of old. So they were looking for Elijah in a role, not specifically Elijah himself. They were looking for that fulfillment of that role to come about. And as they're would be a new Moses, there would also be a new Elijah. And Jesus tells the disciples that there will be, yes, a new Elijah. Elijah is coming and will restore all things, he said. First of all, he alludes to yet a future coming of Elijah, who will restore all things. So that tells us at the end times, hey, they're going to happen, right? That's what he's talking about. And then he, um, he continues, though, and he says, But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him. And so if Elijah is to come in the future, why did he come now? How is that so? I mean, there were all kinds of questions probably going on in their mind. And that was one of the things that probably confused them, especially with Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. I'm going to send you Elijah prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. They were thinking, 
you know, of the here and now and not so much the future. Here's the Lord. He, we saw him in his glorified state. But that's just a preview of what is to come. Jesus in states. They did not recognize him, but did him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. That's when the light seemed to go on in their minds, in their heads. They must have remembered, as I said earlier, uh, what Jesus had said about John the Baptist. Jesus began to speak to the multitudes, it says, about uh, John. What did... uh, Uh, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out there to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are are in the king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah. He's that role. He's coming in that role. Who was to come? Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 10 and 14. So Matthew chapter 17, 13, then the disciples understood He had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Boom, the light goes on. Boom, they put two and two together as the Lord leads them to put two and two together. They now understood that John the Baptist was a type of ministry. He came in that role like Elijah. He was a forerunner. He was the one who came and prepared the way for Jesus. And they understood that Jesus had been speaking to them about John the Baptist here. John's call for repentance was a call that anticipated the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The baptism of repentance of John was a call for repentance of sin, which anticipated the baptism of Jesus which was obedience to the Father, which was that covenant act of demonstrating entrance into the covenant. So Jesus is telling his disciples that Elijah's ministry preparing the way was fulfilled in John the Baptist. He also tells them that he is redefining the fulfillment. And he is saying that the fulfillment will not be less than what you anticipated. In other words, it's going to be greater in redefining it. This liberation from from, uh, Rome is going to be greater than that. You're defining of it. I'm going to redefine that because I want you to get the picture. It means much more than you just being liberated from Rome and from the powers of Rome. It means that you're going to be liberated from sin and death. That the, re- the lost are going to be redeemed. This is, a, this is that liberation from the curse. Not just from Rome. And this must happen before the coming again of Christ in glory. Amen. Boy, isn't that great? What an awesome thought. I mean, they didn't have it all down and the disciples were operating out of a theology and expectation that a lot of us do so often and that is too small, right? 
I mean, mine's too small too often, too limited. But, and theirs was too. The fulfillment of Jesus Christ was going to be infinitely beyond anything they could have imagined. Here Jesus is correcting their, not only their, the chronological aspect of it, but the theology and their, the perspective of Christ's mission, why he came. Things began to fall in place, but little by little. Now that the vision is clear, Jesus tells him not to tell anyone. And I know that when, when things start falling in place, boy, you get excited and you say, hey, man, I want to share this. I, I understand it now. He said, no, you don't understand it fully. Uh, it's not time to, to share it, and especially others don't understand it fully. So we see that uh, Elijah did come in the ministry and person of John the Baptist to prepare the way. He's coming again to before the uh, wonderful and glorious day when Jesus returns. And the disciples, as we will see in the following verses, with the uh, demoniac who is cast out of the man's son, not by the disciples, he's cast out by Christ, begin to realize their role as a church and their mission as kingdom people that they've got to understand because understanding helps them to trust more. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Matter of fact, it's impossible to work the way that we should as a church without faith. Amen? Faith was central to Peter's confession of Christ. Faith is central to the understanding of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, of what took place on the mountain. And faith will be emphasized for, by Jesus when talking to disciples. If you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, this is not dealing with geography, but it's spiritual matters, which are far greater than something physical. The disciples' faith is maturing in the Lord, but still has some setbacks. Here in this passage, we have the importance of fulfillment of the law and the prophets by the Son of Man, the Messiah. The Messiah was understood to be the one who would be the liberator, one who would be like a general leading his army to victory. But signs of liberation were all around them. They just didn't understand it spiritually. The blind, they saw. The lame were made to walk. The dumb were free to speak. The deaf received hearing. The demon-possessed people were freed of demons. The dead were brought back to life. The disciples needed a better perspective of things as they continued on as a church. The liberation was to be far greater than a liberation from Rome, from a liberation that they were looking for. The focus of that liberation was not going and having some mountaintop experience with Moses and Elijah and worshiping Jesus. The liberation that disciples would soon experience would be 
on a mountain called Golgotha. A place of the skull. The liberation would be from sin, death, and curse. And not from an, a nation or a force of that sort. There the glory would be greater than any glory they could ever imagine. This glory is hidden from the logic of the world. The glory can only be seen and, and reason as one who comes to the cross of Christ. And that requires, once again, faith. It's by God's grace through faith. And it's, you've got to be allowing God to do this, this drawing. You see, the cross did not seem reasonable to the senses. And I think a lot of times we Christians, we believers, operate too much in that realm, in the physical realm, and not the spiritual realm, which requires faith. For how many times have you heard people say, well, that's a mean God, or I just, some of them that even go to church, they say, I place my faith in Jesus, but I don't believe that God required him to go to the cross, to suffer and die like that. That's a mean God. And they have all of this, but what we've got to realize and what we've got to remember is what Paul said. You know, does was it Satan that caused him to go to the cross? No, God willingly went because this is what the Father required. Does Satan bring about a lot of this evil? Yes, he does. Does God ever discipline through divine discipline? Yes, he does. Does he work through the cross in, in having to take the, the evil of this world and all the sin and everything and place it upon Jesus to bear the perfect sacrifice so that we could be delivered from that by faith through his grace? Yes, he has allowed this. You see, the way that we're to look at it is in Romans 8, 28, and we know. It didn't say that we understand everything, did it? He said, we know. We acknowledge it as truth. I don't understand everything about the Bible. As we talked about earlier, I don't understand yet about why all of this came about here in this country. But I know that God is at work and it didn't catch him by surprise and we know that God causes all things to work together for good you see Satan may be behind a lot of this trying to get people away from the church trying to get churches closed trying to do all of this but I want to tell you God is sovereign he's in control and guess what we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And we know that God can take what Satan means for evil. You remember Joseph said, well, you know, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he can take that and he can work something for good. We just got to look to see that. 
We may not always see it. Sometimes we may just take it by faith and say, okay, I don't see it yet, but I will one day. To those who love God. Now this is for those who are born again. In other words, we know that the world can't reason this way because they don't have faith in God. And so... We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Even these bad things, even divine discipline, He can cause to work together for good. To those who love God. In other words, it's for those believers. To those who are called, those who have been born again according to His purpose. Realizing that He has a purpose, He's working out a greater plan than what we see at the moment. But it's hard to do, it's hard to accept. Why? Because like in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay? I'll do that, Lord. Mm, Are you? Lean not unto your own understanding. Uh, Are you leaning to your own understanding? Sometimes I am. I just don't want to admit it. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm going about my life and not acknowledging him in all my ways. I do that. And he will make your path straight. Wow. You see, a lot of times we work by the senses. We're still in this old body, and, and we don't allow the faith part to control us or to even be a part of us at the time. And so we, if we're not careful, we begin to doubt God. We become confused. And if we're not careful, we fall by the wayside. We become critical. And we're not the examples that we should be before other people. That verse, and we know all that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and call it according to his purpose. I know a man who didn't see that at first. He had a daughter that was playing outside near the road and sat down on the curb and accidentally a person that was Selling property, a realtor, I believe it was, drove by looking at the properties around for sale and accidentally swerved and ran over the daughter and killed her. He didn't go to church. He was an alcoholic, I guess, or almost, maybe not an alcoholic, but he drank a lot. At first... He could have said, well, that's a mean God to let that happen. His wife and other children went to church. He could have said, I don't want any part of that God if he's like that. I don't understand it. And I'm not going to church. But a minister came out and family that they were going to church at and some of the people from that church along with the minister 
began to minister to the family and especially to him. And guess what? He said later, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't understand everything at first. But as he came to know the Lord, and as years, and as he grew in the Lord, he began to place that verse in proper perspective. And he said, you know, I don't know if I would have ever come to know the Lord or not. But that tragedy brought me to my knees. And God worked out something good out of it. Well, he's going to the cross. Disciples still have trouble with it. But I want to tell you, that cross, if it brings you to the knee, your knees, you can experience the glorious experience of being born again and brought into his forever family. Having your sins forgiven. Something as terrible as a cross brings wonder, amazement, good, peace, and hope to your life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, just want to thank you for this day, this time, this time with these individuals that are here today and those that are watching. And, and I thank you for your wonderful love and grace. And Lord, sometimes we just don't understand. We have to keep on going in life. Other times you gradually reveal it to us and sometimes immediately it's revealed to us. But we thank you that you're behind it working out good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. For well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you.